Uh, once again, we are going to begin in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. And now if you would please turn to chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, to the point of the sermon notes online this morning, I got a text from one of you referencing a T.S. Eliot quote. And I'm like, what is this? I'm like, I'm going to quote T.S. Eliot this morning. I was like, this is so weird. And then I realized, oh, he looked at the notes online. I was like, I was like this is so, the spirit is working today. And I was like, oh, literally it took me like 20 seconds to realize. No, that, tear. I was so confused. And I was like, oh, duh. Anyways, hi. Um, we are going through the book of James in the new year. And uh, I've been saying that James is really, uh, James is kind of wisdom literature. James is, is like a New Testament Proverbs saturated with the wise sayings of Jesus. That's what James is about. And the whole book is about wisdom. But I noticed there's two specific passages where James actually names wisdom. And so I thought I'd, I'd put these two uh, passages together today and talk about wisdom. What is wisdom? What is wisdom from the world's perspective? What is wisdom from God's perspective? Uh, so I'm going to start in chapter 3, and I want to start with that question that James asks. Who is wise and understanding among you? Uh, and if, if you were to read that in context, you realize this is not so much a question. This is more a challenge that James has thrown out to the community. He's kind of saying, who, who of you thinks they're really wise. and Which of you wise guys thinks you've got it all figured out? That's kind of more the, the tenor of, of, the, of the question in context. And I thought, gosh, this is such a good question for our world today. This would be such a good just 
question to ask to our world. Who is wise and understanding? We are in such need of wisdom these days. I don't know about you, but as I check my news feeds every day, um, I look out at a world uh, that feels oftentimes like it's fumbling in the darkness. There's so much division. Uh, There's lots of supposed wisdom, a lot of people that have a lot of things to say and are very strong with what they have to say. But I wonder if any of that, if there's a lot of actual wisdom. And uh, you know, it's so interesting to me, wisdom. We are living in probably the most advanced society ever, right? Uh, we have more scientific knowledge than we've ever had. Uh, we now have these cell phones where we have so much information and knowledge at our fingertips. And yet for all of this information, I wonder, are we actually moving closer to wisdom or not? And here's the T.S. Eliot quote. Uh, uh, remind me of T.S. Eliot, uh, one of his poems. Where is the life we have lost in living? Where is the wisdom we have lost in knowledge? Where is the knowledge we have lost in information? I think those are good questions. And I thought, he wrote that almost 100 years ago. And how much more are those questions relevant uh, to our world today? And so I wonder for you, as, as we jump into this conversation, um, when you hear the words wise and understanding, if I just say, you know, wise and understanding, I wonder, what, what kind of a person, or maybe there's a specific person, what kind of a person pops into your head? And I wonder if we were just to ask the average person on the streets, when you just hear the words wise and understanding, you know, what kind of person comes to mind? I would imagine for some it might be like a, the image of like a professor with vast, you know, knowledge of, of science or history or literature, lots of initials behind their names, you know. Um, for some, it might be a, a, a picture of, of a blogger, their favorite blogger who always has, you know, a thoughtful perspective on the current issues of the day. Or for some of you, it might be the, the guru of your particular industry um, who just seems very, very thoughtful in how they go about that. Or undoubtedly, for some people, it's a mentor or a parent, maybe, uh, some older person that's given them wisdom. And where would you put yourself in that? How, how do you think of yourself? Do I have wisdom? Do I have understanding in this world? Um, I want to talk about this today. Uh, James has actually some very, some very clear things to say about wisdom, but they're, they're quite different than the way that many people in the world would think about wisdom. They're actually simple and easy to understand, but they're quite different. Uh, and so they might catch us off guard. Uh, but what, what, what James does in this passage is he, he kind of opens before us two kinds of wisdom. And uh, one of the wisdoms, he actually puts in air quotes. I, I, I was like, look at verse 15. Uh, I think this is the only air quotes I could find in the Bible. Such wisdom, uh, meaning this looks like wisdom to the world, but it in fact is not true wisdom. And so he lays before, before us air quote wisdom and true godly wisdom. And so I want to look at these today. And uh, just invite you into this and ask yourself, where do I fit? Where do I fit within these two kinds of wisdoms that James presents? And as I think of the people that I think are wise, where do they fit within this description of what James is talking about? Okay, so let's start um, with air quote wisdom or worldly wisdom. With each wisdom, James gives us, it says there's a source to this wisdom. There's kind of an inner drive behind this wisdom. And then there's an external fruit that this wisdom produces, Okay. So first, let's look at uh, worldly wisdom. Let's look at its source. You see the source in verse 15. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, 
unspiritual, demonic. So what is the source of this first wisdom? It is, first of all, earthly. We would use the word worldly. It, is, it comes from the world around us. It's, it's not thinking about heaven, not thinking about God, but it's just the way that the world thinks about things, okay? It's, it's kind of, it's what you're going to see out there in the world. It's kind of common sense of the world. Uh, no one's going to challenge you if you pursue this kind of wisdom, because it's just kind of how life works around this world. Uh, but then he says it's unspiritual, meaning it doesn't come from the Holy Spirit. And then he says it's demonic. And I was reading, I'm like, wow, that escalated really quickly, right? It's like <laughs> from earthly to demonic. Wow, that got, that got dark really fast, James. But I think that the consistent witness of Scripture is that behind the thinking of this world, there's actually dark spiritual forces at work. And what that means is we can go about things in our lives that the world would say, that's absolutely normal. There's nothing to think about there. But there can be ways of living that are absolutely contrary to the way that God thinks and the way that God would want us to live. So this is the source, though. This is just earthly wisdom influenced by dark spiritual forces. Now, the heart of this, I want to get, what is the, the internal drive, kind of the, the core posture of this kind of wisdom uh, James gives it to us in verse 14, but before I read verse 14, I, I want to suggest the key to this kind of wisdom, this is what I want you to hear today, is it starts with a view of the universe and a view of myself that puts myself at the center of life, okay? This is the, this is the core of this kind of wisdom. It puts myself at the center and says, I am here to pursue my own happiness satisfaction and fulfillment. And as I said, you're like, yeah, that's how, of course, that's how most people think, right? This is what my life is about. It is about pursuing my own happiness, fulfillment, and satisfaction. It is a fundamental commitment to my kingdom, to trying to move through my life and build my kingdom. And this is earthly. It's totally natural, okay? You don't have to teach a young child to think this way. We all are born thinking this way, I think James is saying. It is earthly. And what James does in verse 14 is he draws out two specific qualities of that kind of me-first wisdom. Let me read it. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts. That's the core postures, bitter envy and selfish ambition. Let me start with selfish, selfish ambition. That is that fundamental quest to build my kingdom in all the ways we go about trying to build our own kingdoms in life. It looks different for all of us. Some of us, we pursue ambition. Some of us, we pursue wealth. Um, some of us, we pursue uh, reputation, status. Some of us, we pursue knowledge. Some of us, we pursue security in this life. Um, but this, this word, if you see the way it is used in scripture, it's especially tied to how other people view us and how we kind of fit with other people. It's building our own kingdoms in the context of other people building their own kingdoms, okay? So it has a lot to do with managing our own reputations. Uh, and again, we do this different ways. Some of us do this by trying to be funny, or some of us try to be sophisticated, or cool, or, or competent, or successful. All the ways we go about doing this. But it's tied with how people see us. And so that's why that's, that other word comes in, that word bitter envy, or yours might say jealousy. Um, that is something we experience when we're trying to build our kingdoms and other people are building their kingdoms and we look at the comparison of the two kingdoms and we don't like how we feel 
<laughs> in the comparison, right? Jealousy, envy. I had a great conversation about jealousy with someone uh, the other day and the different ways that jealousy and envy play out in our lives. And I, I'd encourage you to think about like, where do you most experience jealousy? Jealousy is such a, it's such an ugly emotion, isn't it? And we were talking about the different ways. One of the obvious ways is possessions, right? Some of you walk into a home and it's a nice home, right? And there's an ugly feeling that you have inside of you as you walk away from that home and go, oh, that is a really nice place. And then you walk back into your home and you feel that jealousy. Possessions are a way that some of us feel that. Um, Experiences, I think, are another way that a lot of us feel that. Um, You know what it's like to be on your Instagram feed and see these vacations that friends are taking to places like Patagonia and Belize and, you know, Europe, and you're like, oh, I would love to be able to go do that, right? And you feel that jealousy. Um, I was sharing in the conversation, for for me, uh, I get jealous um, when it comes to things like like talent and competency and success. Like when I see people who are more competent and talented, doing really competent, talented things, that stirs ugly feelings inside of me. Like, oh, I feel the insecurity of that and I don't like it and it makes me want to be a better me in really bad kinds of ways. That's kind of my, my version of, of jealousy. But it, it plays out in different ways in each one of us. Um, when someone's getting all the attention at a party, uh, when someone gets a promotion and we don't, uh, when someone's kids are going to all the best schools and ours aren't, right? When our kingdom is somehow threatened, um, that's when envy comes in. So this is the core of this air quote wisdom. It starts with me and wanting to build my kingdom and then I see how I fit in places and it stirs up all this ugly stuff in me. That's the inner reality of this worldly wisdom. And then there's an external fruit (laughs) that comes from this wisdom. Look at verse 16. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, what's the fruit of that? There you find disorder and every evil practice. So when you take a group of people, a group of individuals who all have selfish ambition and envy, and you throw them all in a room in a community together, what you get is disorder right? And every evil kind of practice. You get egos being triggered. You get competition. You get jealousy. You get, um, you get gossip. You get all these things that happen when we're fundamentally about our own pursuits and our own kingdoms. And I was just saying that word disorder he uses. I think I look at our country today and I just see increasing disorder. Everybody out trying to make their mark, everybody out wanting to give you their hot take on things, and no one really listening to each other, no real dialogue, and it's increasing disorder. I was thinking, you know, we're in an election year this year. I was thinking, even like those of you who have been around a long time, I feel like you could go back like 50 years ago, go back to presidential debates like 50 years ago, even that short amount of time. There was a level of like reasoned argumentation, point, counterpoint, right? Versus like presidential debates today, which are more like reality TV. Aren't they? I mean, like even in 50 years, you see how much we've, we've kind of moved just to hot take, hot take, opinion, opinion, just boom, not, not really listening. This is disorder. And um, unfortunately, this kind of thing happens uh, in churches as well. This kind of 
This kind of wisdom infiltrates the church. I, I can't remember who I was talking to, but somebody who, um, who's been around a lot of churches, and they made this comment that really struck me. They said, you know, there's, there's not that many church splits that come from just pure doctrinal issues. Like, it's rare that a church split is like truly a philosophical or theological issue. It's almost always about egos and personalities and selfish ambition and envy, and that's what gets nasty, and that's what ends up splitting church. I thought, that is, that is, I think that's just statistically very true. This is air quote wisdom. Who is wise, it would say, let them show it by their witty comments at parties, by their amazing posts online, by the PhDs behind their names, by their commitment to being their own person, speaking their mind, defending their own honor at all costs. That is air quote wisdom. So I want to take you back, before we go to godly wisdom, go back to chapter one, and I want, I want to look at the passage that Amy read there uh, in verses uh, f- uh, five to eight. I'm going to confess, these are some of my least favorite verses in all of scripture. I hate these verses until this week, okay? Let me read it again. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Okay? He's talking about asking for wisdom. And I've hated this passage. It's like, hey, God is awesome. He gives to Jen. He won't find any fault unless you have a smidgen of doubt. Right? Like if you, if you, want, like you come up against something like, should we, should we buy this house or not? Should I take this job or not? And I would love God's wisdom, but I, I don't know if I'm going to get a clear answer from God. I have a little bit of doubt. Well, in that case, all bets are off. You shouldn't expect to get anything from God. <laughs> I'm like, that, that, I've hated that. Um, until uh, the last two weeks, I think I've come to understand what this meant. And we were, we were looking at this verse with our staff last week. And Rob Johnson, our children's pastor, he, he said something. We're like, Oh, that's what this means. And then I studied it this week and I was seeing what kind of commentary say. And they're like, yeah, that's what this means. I never understood it. So what I, I've always understood like what James is saying here is you, if you ask for wisdom, but, but if you doubt whether God will give it to you or not at all, which who doesn't wonder sometimes, well, then you can't expect anything. But what Rob said, what I think is absolutely true is what James is saying is not whether you would doubt if God will give you a direct answer, but he's saying that you... Uh, that you would doubt the wisdom that God ends up providing for you. You're looking for wisdom and God provides it, but you're still caught up in in earthly wisdom. And so you're doubting the the wisdom that God is bringing to you. So here's the idea. You you come to God in a crisis, right? Uh, And you're asking him for wisdom and God offers his wisdom and you don't like what you're hearing. And so you doubt it. And, And I think, I mean, I'd ask you, can you think of a time in your life where someone came to you in crisis or in a moment asking for your wisdom and you really had good wisdom to offer and you offered it and it turned out they really didn't want to hear your wisdom. They weren't really interested in what you had to say. And um, I, as a parent, I have this all the time. <laughs> um, I am really good at uh, third grade and fifth grade and seventh grade math these days. If you have any uh, math needs in that area, I'm very good, but I regularly will get uh, a child coming to me looking for math wisdom. And I, I'm really good at seventh, fifth, and third grade math. And many times I will offer, trying to help them understand how this problem works. And then it turns they don't actually want my wisdom. 
right? They want to just get through this problem. And, this, and we have this, what every parent understands, this complicated situation around homework and things like that. But what I've realized is we go after that moment with, I am 100% committed in that moment to them coming to understand math. They are not 100% committed in that moment to understand math. They want to get through this thing as quickly as they can. And so they, they don't totally want to hear what I have to say. And that's what's happening here. And, and I love James in this, he says, there's a kind of way God gives you his wisdom. Verse five, um, God who gives generously to all without finding fault. That word generously, almost everywhere else, it means something more like singularly or simply or purely, meaning when God gives his wisdom, he, he gives it um, his motives in giving it to you are, are singular and pure. They're 100% for your good. We talked about that last week. God is utterly committed to your good, to your spiritual growth and maturity in Christ. And when he gives you wisdom, he gives it to you from that unmixed, pure motivation of your spiritual growth in, in Christ. And what he's asking in this passage is this, do you ask God for wisdom in the same way that God gives it? Which is purely from a motive of being uh, committed to his kingdom, seeking first his kingdom uh, with a pure and simple devotion to him. Do you come to him with that like, Lord, I really want to honor you and please you in this? Because he's singularly devoted to your growth. And, and are you coming to him from that place? Or are you coming from a place of what he says, doubt, which is not wholehearted commitment to his kingdom, but committed to your kingdom and kind of committed to his kingdom? Look at verse 8. He calls this person who has this kind of doubt, such a person is double-minded. And this is what he's saying. Are you coming to God with two minds? One mind, God, I want what you want. I want your kingdom. I want good things. And another mind, actually, I want what I want. I want things to go well for me. I, I, you, know, you are double-minded. This is, you are, you are seeking air quote wisdom and you're kind of coming to God in a moment of crisis, right? It's exactly what he says later in chapter four. When you ask you do not receive. Why? Because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Right? You're coming to God. You just want something from God. You're not really interested in his wisdom. You just want to spend it on your pleasures. That's why he says, look at verse 6 in our passage. Uh, you must believe and not doubt. Um, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea. Let me give you a picture of a wave of the sea. Blown and tossed by the wind, right? These this are just waves in the open ocean, just bouncing about in the middle of the sea, constantly changing shape, pushed by various forces, not really tethered to anything. And, and James is saying, that's the kind of person I'm describing. Someone who's committed to their own, their own kingdoms, their own desires, and um, caught up in the world, and then calling on God to bail them out in a moment of crisis, but not really committed to his kingdom. That makes sense? Made more sense for me of what that passage means. Okay, that is air quote wisdom, okay? Wind wisdom. Now let's turn and conclude this. What is godly wisdom? Let's go back to chapter three. Go back to uh, chapter three, verse 13. Actually, I'll start in verse 17. Godly wisdom. It also has a source, it has an inner drive, and it has an external fruit. 
The source is right there in verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from where? Heaven. Yeah, literally, the wisdom from above. And James is reminding us, this kind of wisdom I'm about to tell you about, you need to know it is a gift from God. It is a gift from God. It's something that God has to bring into your life by his sheer grace. You can't produce it. You can't drum it up from the ground. It has to come to you as a, as a, as a gift from God by his spirit. It's from heaven. It has also an inner drive, an inner posture. And you're going to see in verse 17 a series of beautiful inner qualities. But before we look at that, um, we have to go back to verse 13. Look at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? And here's the phrase that really hit me this week. Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Literally, the humility of wisdom. That's the phrase that captivated me this week. That's the phrase that I would encourage you just to soak in the humility of wisdom, the humility of wisdom. I was looking at humility and wisdom throughout Scripture. They're almost synonymous in Scripture, or they're very, very close companions. And so I want to talk about, for a moment, the humility of true wisdom. Uh, this kind of wisdom starts from a fundamentally different stand, starting point, and the st- that starting point is not me, <laughs> right? And I want you to think about the book of Proverbs, for those of you that know about the book of Proverbs. Humility starts here, right here. The fear of the Lord, right? I'm sorry, wisdom starts here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom starts from this place, not of myself, but of reverence and awe and respect for God and a a fundamental recognition, I am not at the center of the universe. God is. This universe does not exist, actually, for my pleasure and my fulfillment. It exists for his glory and his plans and purposes. I am a very little creature before a very big creator, and I am dependent on him for every single breath. And if you read Proverbs, you learn God made the world in wisdom. Wisdom in Proverbs is personified. Wisdom says things like, I was there when God made the the universe. I was his faithful companion at his side. The idea being wisdom is baked into the fabric of God's world. And what that means is I become wise not by exerting myself, not by throwing my opinion out all the time, but I become wise by learning to humbly live within the guidelines that God has established in his world. And it's interesting, biblical wisdom is actually not that complicated. Like it's, it's, not, the, it's not a hidden, secret, esoteric thing. In Proverbs, wisdom is a lady who calls out on the streets to people like, I am available to anybody who is willing to humble themselves and submit and welcome me. It's not secret. It's available to all, but it's available to the humble. And so the question that that true wisdom asks is, is, is do I have the humility to receive the kind of wisdom that God gives? Now, in the New Testament, we have to, of course, add to this that true wisdom comes not just from the event of creation, but true wisdom comes from this event right here, the cross. And the question that the cross poses is, in light of this event, where then is boasting? 
And this is, that comes straight from Romans 3. Here is the gospel. For all have sinned, every single one of us, Jew and Gentile, Paul says, and every individual, all have sinned and fall so far short of God's glory. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. The cross is God's indictment on all human pride and human evil. The cross says to every person who thinks, I'm kind of a big deal, you're not kind of a big deal, okay? Nothing short of the violent death of God's son was required for you to have eternal life. And you get to receive this gift of, of life as sheer gift. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You just have to receive it as a gift of grace. How humbling is that? Where then, Paul says, is boasting? There's no, there's no room for boasting at the foot of the cross. And true biblical wisdom starts from the cross. And then this recognition that God is now in this world working to form a community of people, a fellowship of people who are together sinners saved by grace, learning to live out a life of love together. That is the starting point, the, the, the beginning perspective of true wisdom, which is to say, it's not about me. <laughs> It's just not about me. It's about God. It's about his power and his grace and the community that he's forming. That is to live in reality, is to start there. So once you get that perspective, then all, look, look at this list that Paul has in verse 17. It all kind of makes sense in light of what God is up to. Here, I'll, I'll put it up. The wisdom from above. Look at this list. Of th I was thinking about this this week. Like, He's not describing the most intelligent People, right, the, the most sophisticated people, the people with the most PhDs behind their name. These are very just humble people who are living in line with what God is up to in the world. The wisdom from above is pure, right, unmixed. Not this one foot in the world and one foot uh, with God, but just pure devotion to Jesus. Peace-loving, not interested in getting their own way, not get interested in spouting their own opinion about things. Interested in creating peace in the community. Considerate. That word means open to reason and willing to be persuaded. How desperate we, desperately we need considerate people in today's world. Submissive. There's a fun word. Full of mercy and good fruit. Willing to forgive, right? Impartial and sincere. Unhypocritical. Beautiful, right? But very different than air quote wisdom. And then he ends with the external fruit of this kind of wisdom. Look at verse 18. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. These people bring peace and righteousness wherever they go. These are the salt of the earth kinds of people who just quietly go about their lives under the radar, focusing on others, right? Making every group better because of their presence in it. And this is what we are called to. This is the wisdom from above. And so I wanna leave you with um, what I asked you at the beginning when you thought of who is wise and understanding. You picture the kind of person maybe that the world would picture when they think wise and understanding. 
And I just contrast that with this picture that we're being given here. Right, people, I realize like, people that match this description, these are kind of under the radar kind of people, aren't they? They're not people up front talking for however long I've been talking. They're kind of under the radar kind of people, right? Not quick to give an opinion, not quick to draw attention to themselves, not vying for social standing, humbly living lives of unspectacular faithfulness. Their wisdom consists in being committed to God's kingdom and building others up. That is their wisdom. And, you know, I was thinking, I just want to say, Stephen Merrily, a pishler here, and I was thinking of this description, and we had George's, George Oxner's service um, last week, and I was, I just, George came to mind as I looked at this description, this man who lived a faithful life, very competent man, did well, but in our community, under the radar, kind, quiet, thoughtful, always empowering others, um, gentle, but wise. This is the kind of, this is who came to my mind this last week. Um, And these are the kinds of people that we're called to be in this world where everybody is wanting to give you their opinion about everything. That is, this is worldly wisdom. And so what would it look like for you to, to settle into this kind of life? This is actually living in reality in God's world. Um, I'll, I'll end with this. My, this in the new year, um, I do a little bit of resolution work or you know, a little bit of that. And I was so struck by, in December, our series on making room for God in John the Baptist. And um, my, the, the phrase that I'm carrying into the new uh, year is John the Baptist's phrase where he said, uh, remember what he said of Jesus? He must become greater, I must become less. And that is my theme for this year. Um, I want it to be that. It obviously pushes against where my heart wants to go, which is why my theme. Lord, less of me, more of you. Less of me, more. As I step into the church on a Sunday, as I step into a party with friends, as I walk into work, Lord, less of me, more of you. That is true wisdom. Let's pray. Well, Father, in a world that is loud, that is opinionated, that is so often full of people trying to get their own way in life, it's hard to step back and surrender our own kingdoms and instead seek first your kingdom and faithfully, quietly, humbly go about our lives And so we need you to give us a a vision for what that can look like for each one of us that is compelling, that is freeing, um, that is faithful. And I pray for those right now who are going through really hard things, trials, where they really do need your wisdom. Lord, would you reveal your wisdom to them in clear ways? Would, Would you have them turn to just the right passage of scripture or have them connect with just the right person that would offer that kind of wisdom. It may not even be wisdom they want to hear. It might be tough to hear, but it is the right wisdom. Lord, would you give them that wisdom? We know you want to give us wisdom and give them the humility to submit to it. We pray that for all of us, that you might be glorified in our lives, Lord, our quiet lives of faithfulness. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.